Hello, you guys. Welcome back to Shame to Sparkle. I am so honored and excited today to film this episode specifically. I am here with a couple I have the most immense amount of respect for, and I'm also blessed to share their friendship. I am here with Jason and Ashley Waller. You will, of course, know them from Laguna Beach if you grew up like me, obsessed with MTV, and the hills the hills reboot that they are currently filming and celebrity rehab where jason has since become an advocate a mental health resource all things addiction addiction recovery as well as ashley contributing with codependency codependency recovery and they've just really built this circle created around mental health and they've used their platform for so much good so i'm so honored to have them here today with me to talk to you guys and thank you for being here Thank you. Yeah, thank We're you so, so much. Excited to have you. Yeah, thank you for having us. We are honored to be here. Well, I'm honored to have you. And of course, I want you guys to dive into so many deep topics. But first and foremost, if you, for anyone who lives under a rock, if you just want to explain a little about yourselves and how you got to where you are in this moment. Yeah, take it away, babe. Let's hear where you're at, what you're doing. <laughs> well, I married Jason it, from Laguna Beach. It, and then, no, I'm no, I grew up kind of in a small town. Uh, I met Jason almost 10. We've been dating now for 10 years, which is crazy. So gnarly. Married for eight this year. And we met when I was living in LA and we just fell in love, created a family. I am a hairstylist and colorist. I've been doing hair for nine years now. Like a celebrity. I call myself now a celebrity hairstylist because my roster's gotten pretty big, which I'm really happy and proud about. I'm very proud of it. Uh, yeah, I've created my career with that. And then um, Jason and I obviously are now on the Hills New Beginnings reboot and just sharing our truths and experiences about what life was like when Jason was sober, when he wasn't sober, our ups and downs, what it's like having kids, like all the all the, crazy the roller coaster of stuff. roller coaster of events. You know, we've yes. gone through a lot of trials and tribulations, you know, in the last 10 years that we've known each other and, and more so I went through, I mean, Ashley's gone through her own stuff, but I've also gone through a lot of my own stuff prior to meeting Ashley, you know, but my background is I was, you know, born and raised in Newport beach at Hogue hospital, grew up in Laguna beach, Emerald Bay, Southern California kid, loved all sports, anything action oriented, loved surfing, skateboarding, snowboarding, playing baseball, football, anything to tennis to ping pong, you name it. I love it. As long as it's something to keep you occupied. And, you know, I started to really go down a dark, a deep, dark path, uh, right around the age of 17 years old, uh, grew up in a very structured home, you know, very amazing parents, parents who are, st who are still married today, 47 years, which is a rarity within itself in Orange County, uh, as a lot of us know. And I grew up, like I said, with good morals, good values, but totally lost sight, totally lost direction about 17 years old. Little did I know that I was dealing with something called alcoholism, you know, at even a younger age than that without even having to have a drink or a drug, you know, a lot of insecurities, a lot of depression and a lot of things that, you know, people weren't privy on how to deal with. And that spiraled out of control. And, you know, I went into the entertainment business. Uh, I was supposed to go play baseball uh, in college. I had scholarships for baseball and did not pursue them. I thought the entertainment was going to be a, a better route. And, you know, by the four or five years later, that life that I thought I was living, my wildest dreams became my biggest nightmare. You know, I was arrested multiple times, went to 13 different treatment centers from Florida to Hawaii, every state in between, 
you know, got in a lot of trouble. Um, the depths of my addiction not only took me to contemplation of suicide, but actually attempting suicide. And yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's, I mean, in a very, there's so many things that happened in my life. That wasn't a very quick summary about where you are now. I, know, I was just giving, I was just giving you a, a, a background. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people yeah. don't know the, the background, it's but my such life a, is... it's such a, like an important pivotal thing because you really turned your pain into your purpose. And I think being in the depths of such despair, like that's probably the darkest moment attempting something so irreversible and to where you are now. Yeah. I mean, look, I, all, I think all great change proceeds through chaos. Right. And all my trials have become my, my testimony now. And uh, in some things, it's great to be educated and, and, and acquire education. But for me, and what I do today is walking through those hardships have literally been the most valuable assets like I've ever acquired in my entire life. Yeah. Uh, I always I tell doctors, give somebody a degree, give somebody 10 years battling a disease and addiction is a disease. So you're an expert. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. And it's, I love that. I mean, because it's, it's, you know, when Ashley and I met, like she said, she gave, she gave a, an awesome overview of, of this, you know, how we met and where we connected. And, you know, the first four or five years of us being together and in, in the first few years of our marriage, everything was really good. Everything was, was kosher. I was sober. She met me sober. And, you know, we were just kind of living on this pink cloud and life got too good. Life got too busy. And I lost sight and lost track of what was the most, what's needs to be the most important thing to me, which is, is my sobriety, which is my program, which is recovery. And I lost sight. And it took us again, that it's a primary chronic progressive and potentially fatal disease. And it took me to a place where uh, Ashley and I, you know, we were, our marriage was struggling. There was so many different things that happened that we went through. And, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is talking about codependency is something that I think, you know, even Ash, you should just, you know, even talking about it is, is a big piece because Ashley was not equipped when I, when I slipped. Completely. And codependence, sorry to interrupt, but codependence and addicts really do go hand in hand. And I think the reason that I felt so close to you and I felt drawn to you guys when I, when we connected was I feel like we grew up so similar, Jason and I, but Ashley and I both share this codependent trait and I'm surrounded by addicts, but I mean, addiction to me, it's in our genealogy, it's a gene. And yeah. so I didn't have that gene, but I also had, when you Google addiction, the definition, I'm addicted to saving others. And I think Ashley and I shared that and we usually become in that the enabler. Well, it's so interesting. I was on a meeting the other day and it like one of the ladies was talking about how her sponsor would tell her like take the AA the big book and switch every word with drinking with thinking and that's what your obsession is and I'm like oh my gosh it's so true because being super codependent you're always like overthinking and overanalyzing and your whole life is based on fear and analogies that haven't happened yet so you're put in these positions and you like spin out of control and you just like put yourself into this psychosis almost where you're like future tripping on what's going to happen before it's even happened. And then it makes the disease of the alcoholic even worse because you're like, Oh my gosh, well, like if he does this and like, we're all going to die or like, you know, I mean, you really just go into that headspace. And so you're constantly poking the bear and aggravating and trying to ask questions. And because you want to control, 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 and no, you know what I mean? Like we put ourselves as like the higher power, like God, like, Oh, it's fine. Like I'll control it. I will fix it. But we really don't have any control over it. So we go into this, insane tailspin of overthinking and overanalyzing into the point where we're so physically ill that like our whole reality is completely distorted, which is what my life was like, because I didn't mm -hmm. know 
how to deal with or how to even live with an alcoholic at the time because I didn't grow up in a family of alcoholism. So I was even more unprepared because I just never grew up in that kind of environment. Like I grew up in an Italian family and everyone does have like now looking at it and understanding addiction. I'm sure there's like a few family members that definitely drink too much, but (laughs) (laughs) you don't realize you're like, it's fine. But, you know, I mean, I was served alcohol by the time I was six. I mean, just like a glass of wine at the, as a kid at a table because we just, it's just. Are you from a Russian family? <laughs> no, <laughs> not vodka. Okay, vino. <laughs> well, and like, the hardest part is when you're codependent, you're really taking the temperature of the room. My therapist always says this. And if they don't feel right, you're not right. So if Jason's struggling with a disease, alcoholism, then you're struggling. Crazy. So you right? feel like your sense of self was diminished through that. And during this time where you guys met, sorry, I have so many questions. Oh, no, no. Uh, you- during this time when you guys met, were you, you were completely sober, but were you kind of like sober, but dabbling and like chippering and like, you know, easing it? Uh, I was completely abstinent. Okay. I mean, July 23rd, 2010 was my original sobriety date. And I had multiple years of sobriety um, okay. going into it. And we didn't even start dating. Like Jason asked me to be his girlfriend the week before his one year sobriety. So he was like really deep into his recovery. It's not like he was only a couple months sober and then we were together. It was like, he was in a really, really great headspace and really happy. And like his recovery was his number one priority. So when I met him, I met like the true authentic person of who he was, not like the disease Jason, who is like this totally different completely different person you know what i mean you know what triggered that relapse or was it it's so it's 100 no, so it's it's look i mean because like i was so my life became about like health wellness and recovery i mean i worked in the space i was working 80 hours a week you know like this getting so entrenched with this but my life got so good like you hear the promises you know came to fruition and I was living a life beyond my wildest dreams, but I slowly forgot that me, me being sober is what got me here. And then, you know, I got distracted by that. And honestly, there was, there was so many different things that were going on in my life that were too good as opposed to just kind of like pausing and being aware of what was going on. I'm overwhelmed. There's too much happening and like resetting. I basically went and seeked out professional help. I went to a psychiatrist. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember sitting in the parking lot and calling this doctor and saying, Hey, look, like I need to come in for an appointment. Like I've, you know, he diagnosed me a long time ago that I had ADD and, you know, I was kind of, I really had no intentions of actually wanting to relapse. And I went and met with this doctor, we met and I got put back on Adderall, which is pharmaceutical synthetic grade meth, you know, and for I think Adderall can totally trigger a relapse by the way. Oh, a hundred percent. And, you know, for me, it was, I always, I joke about it now. I was like, I got prescription dyslexia, you know, instead of taking one every four hours, I started taking four every one hour. And, you know, it's, it's like within three or four months though, I was, I got all the way up to taking, you know, 400 milligrams a day. So it it, it was, it it progressed, but it was just like, I didn't go into the toolkit that I did. I mean, it's a very weird convoluted situation because I really went to a professional and seek guidance, but like it dominoed and snowballed. Which is like so interesting because that's what's wrong with our society is like people try, that's what's so messed up. It's like, people want to go and get the help. And then they go to somebody that's a shitty doctor that doesn't understand the disease of addiction. And they prescribed in something that they could have already had like a, an old pass with or triggers with or something like that. And then all of a sudden they're off 
the wagon or they're not well, completely. And a lot of these drugs are gateway drugs. And yeah, I, I was just on a podcast last night talking about this, but after I was kidnapped, I had never taken uh, benzo in my life. And suddenly I was prescribed five, five types, not five a day, five types. I was prescribed um, Ambien, Xanax, uh, Valium, because my I was prescribed so many things off the bat where I became reliant almost immediately. And that's not the way that I would, of course, do it now. But at the time, and I always talk about this with my mom, my mom is an addict and we've, we've discussed it before and prescription pills were her trigger, her vice. So having them in the home was relapse, relapse for her, then guilt and shame for me. You know, I'm at fault because I was kidnapped. I was given these drugs. So how, like, how do you navigate when you're an addict in recovery and your doctor's prescribing you a trigger? Well, unfortunately for me, I had to get, I had to learn the hard way and I had to get very educated, you know, and, and now, I mean, Adderall, there's no difference from Adderall and speed, you know, I mean, it's, oh, if you understand it. yeah, it, so it's, it, I mean, that's the same. It's like with opiates, you know, Oxycontin, that's a pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical, synthetic grade heroin. I mean, it's, it's actually, it's a pure form. It's made in the lab. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's again, I mean, I totally have a different approach around all those things. But like Ashley said, it was like a weird thing because that one instance, and yes, I don't blame that doctor at all. Like mm -hmm. I, there's other things that I could have do, done. You know what I mean? I, 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 and I did, I reached out after I was struggling with it. I was like, dude, I'm starting to rely on this. I'm starting to take more. I talked to my sponsor and my mentors and, and, you know, I was trying to get honest with it, but I didn't, now that I was kind of caught back in by addiction, it got me, you know, it grasped me again. And half of me was wanting to be honest the other half wasn't so i was like i was in this road where like it, it was this very windy it was tricky and i had to go down you know all these different paths until i was really really willing to surrender again and get open and honest and uh but now it's like i overly communicate around anything and i everybody i meet everybody i connect to everybody i talk to any type of doctor i let them know i'm in recovery you know and and I, I have the communication and I had to gain that knowledge myself to be able to communicate with them. Like I steer clear of anything that's a benzodiazepine, that's an opiate, that's a, that's a, you know, a upper, whatever it may be. Um, it's just like so important to know our own bodies and know what we're like, what our triggers are, because we have to communicate that. Like we can't just rely on doctors to like know our, everything about us because it's just not the way it works anymore. And there's a level of accountability that did this impact you? Did you know there was a problem, Ashley? Oh, I, yes. I hated the doctor. I actually like remember calling the doctor and I told him like, if you prescribe him one more pill, like this guy's going to die. Like don't prescribe him. And they said, I'm sorry. It's HIPAA compliant. We can't have this conversation with you. Like it was just like, but awful. at this point, were you also like covering for him? Because you know, when oh, someone yeah. starts down the trail again and suddenly yeah, yeah. you want to protect them, were you there already? Or were you, did you have that like disgruntled, like not coming where were you at on that line? I was a very, very much like doormat, manipulated. I really didn't believe, I believed everything that Jason told me. It's just so, it's so weird because I think I got into this headspace that when he became really sick, I had like kind of just lost my dad and he became like that. I've lost my grandpa and my dad within six months of each other. And so Jason became that father figure in my life that I like kind of looked up to. And so anything that he said or did, it was kind of like, okay, well, I'm listening to him because he's like my father figure. Like that's my person I look up to. That's the person that I'm going to listen to. And at the time when he had like relapsed, he was working in the recovery space and I was so nervous about him losing his job. And there were a lot of promises during that time. I mean, in the end, you're in this weird 
weird limbo because you're like, okay, I already have nothing. So like, what is there to lose? But you think that you're going to lose everything. You know what I mean? You're like, I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose my house, but we lost it all anyway. So it's like, you know what I mean? It's just so silly because I think I was preparing myself for the worst, but I was living in the worst. So I had no idea about boundaries or anything until Jason went to rehab and then we did like a family program and they had talked about Al-Anon and I, I had gone like a few times before, but the problem was, is I was going to meetings and I wasn't being honest, which is like the worst because now you're going to meetings and everybody is talking about their life and you're sitting there going, my husband's been sober for this many years. And like, we're so great. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what? this is actually like horrible because now I'm sitting in front of all these vulnerable people and I'm still lying because I'm so scared about what the repercussions are. I had no sense of self. It's like, I remember the first time I actually went into a meeting and, ex and like said everything where I just felt so vulnerable. It was like this weight was like lifted off my shoulder. Like I finally felt like, oh my gosh, I feel like I can finally talk about this and it's not my, it's, it, it's my problem, but it's like, I don't want to keep living like this anymore. I have to do something different because like, doing the same thing and expecting different results is just never going to happen. But I was so unaware of that. I was so immature too. Like I was 24 when I got married. So Jason and I were together for a few years. I mean, I'm in my like mid twenties, you know what I mean? Mid going into late twenties when all of this is happening. Well, and you can't be expected to have yeah. emotional capacity to withstand these things that you don't even know at the same time. And also you should give yourself grace because a lot of codependents often lie to therapists all the way through. So at least you made it. I had a therapist I actually just stopped seeing. I had lied to her for so long and I had withheld so much that I finally like exploded one day, like word diarrhea. And I was like, I can never go back. Like, <laughs> she was looking at me and she's like, you never brought up the this, this, and this. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, cause I didn't want you to think I'm weird, you know? And so you have to give yourself grace in that because it happens. And the fact that you could even be authentic and vulnerable is huge leaping steps in the right direction. Can I, I just want to add one thing though. It's like, look, it's when I was in active addiction too, like the first thing I want to do is, I mean, we become professional manipulators, right? I mean, I, it, it's, it's like a survival gene that kicks in and I actually was the easiest target, you know, and, and, and I knew that she was weak in that area and, you know, it's, the other end of it is it's important to know though, like for people that are out there that, that are, you know, normies, people that can enjoy a drink here or there or whatever. That's what I call you guys normies, but you have somebody that's struggling, whether it's a family member, a loved one, you know, a spouse uh, that's, that's struggling with addiction. Like you have to understand, like you can be just as sick, if not sicker than the alcoholic. And that's what happened is I got Ashley to do this dance with me where I was literally, play, it was a puppet show. You know, I was able to, to manipulate, to get what I wanted. And it, I mean, it's a, it's a very sickening, you know, tango very destructive, like manipulative. I don't want to say the word like abusive, but it almost is to the both of us because I'm like not giving myself that respect that I deserve. And like Jason was so sick and then you're in this like really sick, toxic. But that might, the whole point of it though, is, is it's lack because there is stuff actually, because I'm not going to also say that there there's, she was not educated to know what to do, but there is things to do. So I, yeah. I don't want to give like, Oh, is this like, you know, abuse. It's like there's things she could have done completely differently too for herself and or our relationship. But she are, didn't do you have off the bat, sorry to interrupt, like two or three things she could have done? Because some of my questions are, my boyfriend is an addict. I don't know how to help him. 
my husband hasn't been going to work. He's struggling with alcoholism. Like a lot of women, I think that at least in my community are codependent. They're, you know, like us, Lisa Romano followers doing the work, self-love deficit. Do you have any advice that she could have done? So I'll, here before, I mean, I'll give you my answer on some things that Ashley could have done differently, but Ashley has done the work for years now. And so I think it would be awesome to also get her input. But I think immediately when things were going on, if I were just, if I was looking over the situation that we were in, Ashley should have reached out to people that were in our lives and let them know immediately what was going on. Hey, Jason's relapsed. Uh, I need help. I have no idea what to do. I'm fearful. Whether it was my parents, whether it was my sponsors, whether it was my mentors, whether it was very close friends, even though I use that against her, you know, you better not tell anybody. I'm just saying things that she, if I could wave a wand and she could have done stuff differently. She also should have set boundaries. I believe, you know, immediately as like, look, I'm here for you. I love you. I care about you because it's important for people to understand there's no such thing as recreational use of heroin. There's no such thing as recreational use of meth. There is no such thing as recreational use of drinking a bottle of vodka a day. So the person's got to be in a very miserable place. You don't need to be rude to them or mean to them. They're already in a shitty place that they're trying to do that to get through every single day that they're in. But it's, hey, look, I love you. I care about you. I, I want to support you, but I'm not going to support you in this state because you are literally killing yourself. I'm not going to contribute to you killing yourself. I will do whatever I can to be of support to you. But if you're not willing to make that change, I cannot be here to support that because I'm not going to co-sign that. So I think it's very important to people understand that is like when somebody's going through something, like people get very easily attuned to just want to be aggressive or frustrated or so angry. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? And it's like, you got to get a little more educated about it. You don't have to like what they do. You know what I mean? But it's, it's, it's at the same time, there's, you got to have grace with that. So I think it's letting people know, reaching out, setting boundaries hundred percent, and then plugging into a program where like, if I were to just give you three things for somebody that's dealing with an alcoholic addict, you got to get into an Al-Anon program or codependency program. You have to, uh, therapy as well. Is, is, and, and that advice even to a codependent who's not in some sort of program might feel like drinking poison because for a codependent like Ashley or myself, and I do think addicts have some form of codependency depending on the person too and some variations, but codependents like us, for me to even call people around the person I love would probably feel like a bullet in my chest because I don't want the person I love to be mad at me. Their love is a representation of if I'm worthy or not. So that was that hard for you? A hundred percent. You like put it into exact words. Yeah, I think also there are a lot of sick people that were also there's a lot of codependence that we obviously surround ourselves with, which is why and probably a lot of narcissists <laughs> for a long time. So, you know, it's trying to find the right people that you can reach out to because sometimes people don't really want to believe it's going on either. And that was really hard for me because there were people that I would reach out to and I just didn't get the help that I needed or people would be mad at me about it. And that was really, really difficult because they just didn't want to believe what was happening was really happening. And I think the I think personally the biggest thing is if your significant other is not in a program because to me it sounds like most of these people are struggling and they don't even have a program like it's a very it's really commendable if people do have a program and then they slip because they know what that entails and kind of like having that person they I'm sure they've been to meetings before and everything else that's like getting back on the wagon but if there's somebody is struggling they don't even have that support system it's very difficult to just be like oh i'm gonna call up your mom the mom's probably codependent as hell and doesn't understand and has been co-signing their bullshit for as long as they can remember so you know the al-anon thing is like number one or any program codependency program i well, think because if you're utilizing that with calling then it's probably more beneficial mm -hmm. 
I think it's beneficial because then you have somebody to help guide you and give you the tools because it's, it's really hard to not want to react in a situation where you feel really upset about it. It's obviously uncomfortable when somebody's drinking around you and they know that they, that you know, they have a drinking problem and then they're slipping or they're drinking around you. It makes you really uncomfortable. It makes you really irritable. So the best thing to do is remove yourself from that situation and get guidance from somebody that can help you through that situation. Like for me, I couldn't handle it by myself. So I needed to go and get support and an understanding that I wasn't alone in this situation surrounded by people that also we're trying to help themselves because there's too many sick people in the freaking world. And all they're going to tell you is so many other situations, even therapists. I feel like sometimes be like, Oh, just leave. Like, well, it's like, well, that's not really my, that's not my solution. That's not even what I want. So it's like, you need to be around people that are also trying to better themselves so that they can heal themselves. And then you're around a safe group of people that are also helping themselves. And that's the support system that you need in order to help you make the best decision. I mean, actually, the, the the key thing about any support group or any of those things, you have to understand that it is a safe environment. Yes, it's it's hard to become vulnerable and, you know, express humility to a random group of people. But it's like, especially you get to a point where it's like the insanity, is, it, it, you you get to a place where you're willing to do anything. But it's also, it's like what you've been doing hasn't been working, right? So it's like taking direction from, you know, surrendering. And on the other end, not only the alcoholic needing to surrender, open, get honest, but the codependent, but having a safe, and trusted environment that you can go into and have relatability and connectivity. That's like one of the biggest, it's, it's, it's the number one form of happiness in this world today. It's a whole other thing, but is is it's the longest living study done at Harvard is around happiness and that's for human connection. And he is alcoholic and her is a codependent. Isolation is the, the, the key indicator to depression. And so it, it's so important to, to understand that though. But I mean, you bring that up, safety and trust is, is a huge environment. And when she had that, Every when that she went and plugged into that group, everything changed. Because those are the two things I feel like you lose when you're in a relationship with an alcoholic is the safety and trust piece. Those are the two biggest things that I've worked on for so long is just feeling like you're in a safe environment, not not physically unsafe, but like a safe environment where you feel like you can support each other. Well, and if you're codependent, your whole reality is based off other people's affection. So you've never really felt safe because at any given moment someone can change their mind about your worth. And being a codependent, your whole life is based off, you know, anytime that you're upset about something, it's based off of fear. So, you know, it, it is one of those things where you're constantly living in like an anxiety mode. And that's also why I suffer and struggle with anxiety. But now it's like, I have a lot of tools from going to program that's helped me so much with just getting out of that headspace. And it's like, now that I have those tools, I know the things to do. So I don't have to live in that misery anymore. Yeah. Did you almost feel safer going to things like Alnon? Because I know for me, now where I'm at in healing, I actually feel safer around a group of strangers or a new group of women, like our study in our women's group, because I have friends from 20, 25, 30 years, but they're actually committed to the old me. So they want a party friend who's codependent and can be walked all over because that fits their narrative of lacking growth. And that's not all my friends by any means, small groups, you know, but do you, did you feel like off the bat, you could kind of come clean once you, you got into your healing and it was more linear with your future? Yeah, I think it's definitely, it, it definitely opened my eyes a lot to seeing even like what my worth was when you surround yourself with people that want to make themselves better. It really puts your whole life into perspective to realize like, wow, 
Like I want to make myself better so that I can have a better life for myself, for my husband, for my future, for, you know what I mean? I totally agree with you. I do feel a lot safer in an environment, even with strangers, when I know that everyone's coming for the common good of like wanting to better themselves. Better themselves. Like, hi, we're all showing up here. That's the accountability. Like if you can get your ass out the door and take the accountability to like going and sitting down with a bunch of strangers, like that is the biggest pat on the back ever. You're already in a place where you don't know anybody and you're sharing your deepest, darkest secrets. So it's like, there's something so special about that. And it's something that I cherish so much and I'm so grateful for because I totally, I think it's just so, it's so real. It's like the rawest that you can get in the world right now. You know, like you really can't seek help through Instagram because that's just a bogus false sense of reality. You know, it is. So it's nice to be able to be in a room with people that are being authentic and real. And, and you know, it's even, even when I wasn't, even when I wasn't sharing my darkest secrets, I was still showing up in the room and listening and still realizing like, okay, my story sounds a lot like that person's story. Like maybe I should connect with that person. And maybe that would be that one person that I could tell my story to, you know? So no, completely. So, I mean, I, I have so many more questions for you guys on addiction and just on, you know, the work you're doing now to help kind of better this. I think the other real pandemic is addiction, depression, mental health decline. I was researching substance abuse facts prior to us talking just to, to freshen up because as you guys know, my husband's an ex-heroin addict. My parents have battled addiction. My grandpa, alcoholic, I have been surrounded by it, but I don't really always know the statistics. And I was reading the average age for addiction is like so young. It's like 11. Yeah. The average age of first time use, first time use is 11, 11 and a half. Okay. Years. For substance. And I was blown away now with COVID because often abuse can be, I'm reading my notes because I already forgot because I'm a little ADD. Abuse can be linear with feeling depressed, isolated, alone. All of the things we're experiencing right now. Do you guys have any kind of tidbits of advice or thoughts or just wisdom on what we're going through as a society and battling addiction? I'm reading addiction is up by like 300%. Suicide attempts are up by like 60% where we are. Like, how is this? Is this? Yeah, I'll put it in, I'll, just, I'll put something into just a, a blanket statement with it. I mean, the leading cause of death for 50-year-old individuals and younger is substance abuse and, and addiction. I mean, that's a very, that's a good portion of our, of our population. It's over 50%. If you look at it, nobody's, not everybody's living to a hundred, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's a, a, a very large part of our demographic, but yeah, I mean, isolation and, and, and the loneliness. And I mean, that's, is one of the triggers for relapse. So I think it's very important. I mean, for me in this time, I've learned how imperative it is to create a structure because structure creates safety. And so I've had to do, I've had to implement new things that were, you know, I used to have a pretty regimented routine that I would do. And it looked, you know, I'd wake up, do morning meditation, do prayer. Uh, and I still do some of those things, but I'd go to meetings. I'd have a lot more fellowship and I've had to adjust to those things, but I make it a priority again, keeping my program is my priority. So in the mornings I do do that morning meditation. I do do, I read out of my daily devotionals. You know, I do a gratitude list with, you know, I think about 13 other people and I write three things I'm grateful for, not only what, but why, because that's really where the meat of it is. Uh, and I do that. So it holds me accountable. And I do that with, I've done that for, I've done this for years now. I do this with like 13, 14 other guys and a couple, you know, family members. And it's amazing, you know, and I've implemented going to the gym and, and working out, whether if you can't go to a gym, you know, because of, of the certain place you live in, you know, figure out exercises that you can do at home, but your brain produces more potent chemicals than heroin. You got to let it work. And it's imperative that you get those endorphins and 
and those things going. So that's something that's very regimented to me. And, and I, ha I, I, I cannot survive. I'd rather take the chance of getting COVID. No, I mean, with all due respect, but I need human connection. I cannot. So I've, I've, I got around it, uh, about three or four different guys that I trust and we all understand the circumstances that we're in. And we're obviously mindful when we see each other, but we like go outside. Yeah, we go outside. We go, we do a beach walks. We will play golf. We'll do stuff where we're not like just hovered around each other, but I need to have that camaraderie. I need to have that fellowship and I need to have that, like, I need to have, have that time for me. And it's, it's with my mentors and people that I, I look up to. And, you know, so it's like, if you're, if you're isolated or in a, in a, in a dark place, I mean, there's also zoom meetings. There's a lot of meetings that you can go to. One of the biggest things that I miss is actually going to meetings in person. And so that's, that's been something that I've had. That's why I had to plug in these other things to get to sustain what I was doing, but it was, it was a struggle. And again, as I, I, it, for me, I don't get that much out of Zoom meetings. You know, some people go to them and they love them. They can get a lot out of it. I don't. So I've, 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 I'm one of the people that goes there and I leave more angry than when I started, you know? So it's like, I had to find different, different things for me, but I think it's people need to give themselves grace. They need, it's a great opportunity to try new things, get new hobbies, you know? And, and it's something that for me and Ashley, it's like we're accountability buddies to each other. We laugh about it, but it's like we hold each other for ex hold each other accountable for exercise, for diet we make it a point like I've, I've plugged in a huge thing is God. I mean, uh, I do a Bible study with four guys every Thursday, Ashley and I attend church every single Sunday. I'm, I'm getting much more plugged into the word, you know, and for, for me, God and Jesus is, is, has been like one of the most saving graces. I'd say what's the best thing that's happened to me during COVID is my connection with God and my relationship with him has gotten so deep and so rooted. And again, it's, it's, there's not, there's, there's only so much you can give, without getting a, a, examples of what somebody's going through, because it is very, you know, every, everybody's different and it's very individualized. I think it's important to hear from someone like you who is privileged, who is born, you know, you have so many resources at your fingertips. You have a Rolodex of people in this field and you still have to implement new things. So I think people that are struggling and listening who are thinking, I'm crazy, I'm isolated, I'm having these disturbing thoughts, look at you. And I think that that could be really helpful because I know the isolation I felt and I know we're in the same circles. I lost three friends during COVID to um, overdose, accidental overdose and suicide. And so that's a very real realization to have that like we have to implement these things because this is happening and the numbers are rising there too. A hundred percent. And I, I'll just give a couple, like a couple quick tips if I can. I mean, like if Please do. you know, when people feel like they're having the urge uh, to relapse. It's, it's an obsession. It's not a craving. People have to understand your body's not physically craving anymore unless you're, if you, unless you are only been off of something for, you know, a week or so or less. But if, I mean, after a month or two or three, you're in, you know, early sobriety, but you're definitely sober, you've actively arrested the disease, you're stabilized, you know, the obsessions come. It's like having little things in place. I'll never forget my first year of sobriety back in 2010 when Ashton and I met, you know, back then. I used to keep a skateboard by my door, you know what I mean? Because you have to remember thoughts too, they come and go and it's how, what we feed them and what, what we do with them is what can really dictate us. And so for me, when I'd get strong obsessions or cravings, I used to put a skateboard by my front door and I'd go outside and skate really hard for, for 20 minutes. That's what worked for me. And so I think it's like, if people are going through a hard time, like have something that they can access something I'm doing with Delilah that she probably is having a blast with that I love is coloring. Like I never thought, like I sit there and I'm like, do you want to color tonight? You know, like for me, and it's, and she's like stoked on it. So there's just little things that you can plug in as, as little tools. But you know, for me, it's, it's been very, very beneficial. And I think the biggest thing is, is even just communicating. You're not alone, you know, reach out to somebody and, and just, and just talk to somebody 
you know, because oftentimes, you know, the, one of the best things that I can do for myself when I'm in a bad place is be of service. And, you know, to get out of self is, is one of the most rewarding and uh, uplifting things you can do. Well, I agree with that. And I think that is really helpful. And I know it's getting late and we're running out of time, but I feel like you have so much more wisdom to share. So you guys, I will drag them back one day, but I want to end this. And first of all, I want to thank you for all of your, all of the important things you're sharing, but with a happy question, because I have so many questions for you guys. How old were you when you started filming? I wrote that down, but someone had said when you grew up in the public eye with addiction, did it catapult it? Did it catapult it? Yeah. So first, uh, first thing is your first question was when it was Laguna Beach. And so the first thing was I, I was filming, uh, I started filming at like 17 years old and you know, that's when I was starting to dabble with, you know, alcohol and, and definitely alcohol and, and some drugs and the show, I do not blame the show for my addiction. I already had the addiction. It wasn't, it wasn't them. It definitely, you know, added fuel to the fire and it ignited it, you know, at 18 years old being paid to party and travel the world. I mean, I thought I was living the dream, you know what I mean? Let alone, you know, you have all your friends that are just trying to get into clubs and try to find fake IDs. And it's like, well, Hey, just come with me. We're going to go on a private plane and we're going to go to all these different States and countries and we're going to get paid to go there. You know? So it's like, it definitely, it was just unlimited access and there was nothing like it, you know? And that's the thing is, I brought up saying that I was raised right and had these great families, but it's like, I had, I made so much money, had so much access that basically there was no control. You know, nobody knew what to do. So do you think that because you had that platform around you too, that people were more lenient to want to, cause I know how enablers work and I'm not talking codependent enablers. I'm talking enablers who are energy vampires who want to use you. Do you think that those people played some sort of role? I'm sure you oh, have them around you. hundred I mean, one of my biggest things, I, I mean, and once I started to understand more about what trauma and different things was because, you know, I was not sexually abused. I wasn't molested. I didn't have any of these things happen to me when I was younger. And that's how I always thought trauma was or some gnarly incident that, you know, took place. None of that ever happened. And a lot of my trauma and fear came from was, is, you know, the people that were in my life, were they in the, my life for the right reasons? Were they real trust friends? Were, it was, I had such deep trust issues with people for all different areas. And I still do to this day, you know, and it's something that I've worked on. And I'm very, very mindful of who I surround myself with. And, you know, I, I have just a core, core group of friends that I, that I trust. No, I totally agree. Because how can you have instilled trust in people when, first of all, you're not trusting yourself and there are definitely people around you for the right reasons. Like I know when I used to go out and live a certain lifestyle in LA, working in LA young, and we were all with a friend with a table at like the club and at Tao and at, I don't even remember now I'm having. The dude. Yeah. And you know, we all wanted to be at the table with the free table. And did, do you feel like those people kind of catapulted it further, I guess? Well, yeah, no, for, I mean, so I met yeah. Jason, I went to his table in LA at the club. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, <there> was <laughs> so but yeah, but it's, it's like, it's okay. So I remember what I was going to say is uh, around that is I also got to see when I was going through the hardest times in my life, all the people that I really thought were real friends, I got to see the ones that were, and I was, you know, I was surprised because there was a lot, a lot less than I had expected. Uh, when I really needed people, when I was really going through certain trials and tribulations and some people that I thought would have never been there were there. So, I mean, I really got to see, and again, as I got to learn a lot of these life experiences that were, were really, really valuable to me as, as I grew up, you know, and I think it's, it's even at, to Ashley's point, you know, when she talked about earlier in the show about when she did, she did try to reach out to some people and, and people did not want to believe, you know, they didn't, they didn't want to 
they wanted to co-sign my use. They wanted to make sure because I was making them money. And they, if I went away, they would be in trouble. You know what I mean? So there were so many different facets and it's happened for, for so many years of my life that it's been something that I've really had to focus on. That's like why, again, as Ashley and I are over we're at because we've done the work. I mean, this is last year, we've gone to therapy every single week for a year straight to just focus on our marriage and communication and, and different things. And, and on the side of all that is I've also had to do the work on these trust things. And, and I've had so much stuff I've had to work on personally, still 10, 15 years later, that I didn't address back in the day because I, I just kept sweeping them under the rugs and, you know, they started to poke their, their ugly heads, you know, especially when I was in active addiction and when I relapsed, I, a lot of that, those old behaviors came back. Are your families involved in your sobriety? I'm rewording how it was asked, but I'm actually questioning now because I think addiction is such a family, it's a family disease. It's, you know, I know that it's, it's obviously prevalent to the person experiencing it in their genetics, but are your families involved and supportive in this? My, yeah, my look, ever since I got sober back in the day, I ended up introducing and or getting over 10 family members into recovery or into some form of program. And so I've helped get a lot of people sober through my journey, which has been, I mean, you want to talk about probably one of the most rewarding factors. I'm the youngest of a lot of these people that I helped. So to be that, that person, whether it was aunts, whether it was a brother, whether it was a cousin, you name it to have that experience, it's, it's yes, you're, to answer your question, yes, they're, they're involved, but even more so as we've, we've been able to. I know you even helped my cousin. He just celebrated seven years. Crazy. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's amazing. We still have very codependent parents, but that's why we are the way we are. (laughs) But it's also, we've learned from that though. I think the the growth that we have, instead of trying to, you know, trying to fix Fix them, them, it's like you, you under, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just came to a thought. It's, it's having more of an awareness of why people are the way that they are and like respecting and understanding like, okay, like you are like this because of the way that you were raised and understanding that it's not their fault that they're like that. Well, no, we learned something very powerful. And this is for people like, again, going back to your addiction questions or whatever it is somebody's going through is you'll never be able to control or change anybody. The only thing you can control or change is the way you respond to somebody. Mm-hmm. And that has been one of the most valuable, valuable lessons I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it saved me a lot of heart, heartache and a lot of you know, frustration. And it was, it's just a very valuable tool. Yeah. Well, and you can't will someone. I, it's so funny you just said that. I have it in bold. I have my little notebook of, I write the same thing as you, gratitude every morning in it. And I have it in bold. You can't will anyone into a better life. Ultimately, they have to choose the path on their own because it's one of my, you know, life goals I'm trying to implement in how I treat others, which I'm sure you yeah. I'm sure you understand, but it's so true. Is there a type of therapy? I've been writing down uh, questions that seem of most importance to keep us going. Is there a type of therapy that you would recommend to someone other than Alnon who's in the process of addiction or codependency recovery? Like I know I always recommend EMDR. I think that's important. Do you have something that specifically has, you know, helped you? I love DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy. Is that's what Ashley and I have been doing, which is again, it, it's really talking about your environment and like about yourself as well and what you can control and what you can't control. And it gives you a perspective of that. That's something that is is has been amazing. I love EMDR. I think that's one of the most, especially if you're going through trauma and different things, it's one of the most effective uh, tools that's out there. But for me right now, I'm really uh, keen on uh, DBT right now. DBT. I haven't tried that actually. So I just wrote it down. I feel like I've tried them all. 
like the cognitive thinking cognitive and distortions cognitive and all those different stuff yeah yeah i didn't know that was called dbt i just thought it was called the therapist yeah <laughs> she actually thinks we're doing talk therapy but little does she know we're doing dbt little do you know you're being hypnotized do yeah. you have a way do you guys have a way that you monitor the program that you're in as far as success on the path of on the path of recovery for both of you because i, I do believe that codependency is an addiction in its own like, psychosomatic mental way do you have a way that you monitor it like if it's been a month and you haven't gone to a meeting, do you have like a calendar of accountability? Someone said, how do you monitor your progress in recovery? Well, I think for me, I'm really hard on myself. That's part of my disease is like being my worst, like my worst enemy, I guess mm -hmm. is what I would say. So I try and give myself grace. I have a really great sponsor that if I'm like not in communication with her for a month or something and I'm getting really overwhelmed, I know when I'm not going to meetings because I'm an asshole. So it's like immediately my life is pretty crappy and I'm very depressed when I'm not going to meetings. So I have the tools and I know what to do. And I, I'm in a bad headspace when I don't go, I don't feel good about myself. I'm, I'm the itty bitty shitty committee. I'm telling myself I'm horrible. I'm awful. Like I know when I'm in that headspace. And so then I, I know when I go to meetings, how good I feel too. So I think it's just the awareness. Now I go to meetings every morning now. I mean, I at least go four times a week now at like six in the morning to a New York meeting, which I love because I can just get up and get on and it's great. I don't know if that's too much of my explaining my anonymity, but anyway, I think that's really the way to monitor myself. I still have a sponsor. I check in with her. I mean, sometimes life happens and I don't go to meetings every single solitary day or I don't go to meetings for a month because I'm super busy and working three jobs and have a child and I just can't fit it all in. But then I know because I have a husband that will check me in and be like, hey, you should go to a meeting because you're acting kind of cray. So and that's the beauty of this is working a program together, which was different is even though I had... Ashley wasn't just codependent because I went into a relapse. Ashley's been a codependent. Like a doormat my so, whole life. So what was really important and what we learned is when I was working my program, I know people can't see this, but visually I'm showing you is like, I was, if you guys can imagine, I'm holding my hands out. Jason, I'm, I was like in the front looking back at Ashley when I was in my program. And when I relapsed and she started to work a program, we became on equal playing fields. And when I'm working my program or let's, if Ashley's working her program, she starts to step a little bit forward and I'm back here. So it's like, it it's when we're doing a program together, we're walking together, we're walking together and it's important that we're moving together forward. versus one. If one of us starts to go off track, the other one's like, Hey, what are you doing? Like yeah, looking over your shoulder, exactly. like, come on, you need to catch up. And so and it's someone fighting for you too. I think when you're codependent, you just don't count. You don't feel worthy for whatever reason. I obviously, I don't think we've ever talked about where your codependency stems from, but have you, you, so you guys set healthy boundaries now for one another in your healing process. Yeah, but I, I think it's, it's imp like, I guess the point of that though, is like, if you're an alcoholic or an addict, or, you know, the, if it's, yeah, you're, you're a codependent and you're dealing with an, an active person in addiction, it's important that you get plugged into a program. And especially if you're going to stay together, you both have to be working a program. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the moral of that story. You can't just point the finger because it takes two to tango. And if you guys are going to want to have a successful relationship, you both have to work towards it because obviously both of you are having an issue to begin with. It's the yin yin yang of it. Yeah. You know, it really is. And I think, I mean, it's, I, for me is in the, the, how do I monitor my, my program is, is look, I, I keep things simple. You know, I, I do a daily reprieve. Um, every day I, I, I look back, you know, and I, I reflect on what I could have done differently or what areas that I needed to, to change. And if there's things that I did wrong, I make sure that in the morning I correct them or I, I give somebody a call and make, make a direct amends. 
Um, and that's something I'm really, really, really good at now, but I, I don't overcomplicate it. You know, like I said, I keep, I stick to my structure because it does create safety and it's important and it's what works for me. And I think people that are out there, it's like, just, it's starting, what does your day, I, I, ideal 24 hours look like? You, you have the power to create your own, your own structure. And even just starting up with a wake up time, what time do you want to wake up? And what's the first thing you want to do? Whether it's a gratitude list, make coffee, you read your Bible, you read a book, you know, take your dog on a walk you can start to outline that. And I think it's really important that people can, can create that structure. Well, I don't know. I don't have this. It's like, you have the power to create your own structure and you can work it within your work schedule, within your kids, whatever it may be. There's, there's always an opportunity. And it's like I said, if you just start with that one thing that you can build upon it. And now it's like, I look at the structure that I have. I have like a couple, an hour and a half, two hours worth of stuff that I have in a, in a routine that I, I'm fortunate that I'm able to do that. But that didn't, it was years ago it was five minutes. And, yeah. and so I think it's, again, is what is your ideal 24 hours look like? What can you strive for uh, to monitor your program? Because for me, it's just, now I just do a daily reprieve. Where did I mess up? And now how could, what can I do tomorrow to make it better? And that's inspiring because there's a level of accountability and recovery from anything, I think. And I remember meeting Ashley and her routine inspired me so much. And I was like, I have to try and emulate that because I know that there's like, I know there's something right in what she's doing and there's something wrong in what I'm doing. When we would meet, she's like, yeah, I've been up since four hours, four hours. I've done my Peloton. I've done my this. And I'm like <laughs> walking in with like coffee dripping on my face. I still like, you know, like sleepy goo in my eyes. I'm like, oh, okay. Like I'm doing it wrong. So I started implementing, like you really inspired me in a positive way. And I'm grateful for that. And lucky for me and where I'm at in my healing is I can be accountable. And a lot of people when they're triggered can't, um, which leads me to a question I have for Jason. Jason, what do you do when you are triggered? When I was triggered? Uh, so look, I mean, when you get there, triggered. Yeah. When I get triggered is, is well, the first thing I do is I have, there's about three or four people that I have set up on like speed dial that, I mean, if I, that's why I say three or four is because, you know, oftentimes one person is not going to be available and I reach out to somebody immediately and tell them what I'm going through. Another thing I do is I use this uh, AAA modality. It's called awareness, acceptance, and action. If I'm not aware of what's going on, I can't accept it. And if I can't accept it, I can't take action on it. So I, I'm very mindful of, of where I'm at. I look and identify what is triggering me. And if it's something, whether it's the environment I'm in, you know, whether it's a person I'm around, whether it's a situation that happened, I, I make myself aware of what that actually is and I accept it and I really process it. And then it's like, what affirmative action do I need to take? to make the situation better. So, and that's been a, a huge thing for me. So is, is connecting with people using the AAA modality. Exercise is a, is a huge thing for me. I know that as an outlet, like I said, it's super easy just to, to get down and if and do 20 pushups, as stupid as that sounds, you know, you don't have to get this full routine. It's, it's just doing things that, that work for you. It's finding those things. And it took me a long time to, to figure these things out when I was, when I would get triggered, you know? Um, and when I go places, like if I'm going to an environment, like if, for filming, if I'm going to a place where I'm uncomfortable, I have an exit strategy when I, before I go there, I have a group of, I let people know hours before that I'm going to please keep your phone on you that I may have a situation where I need to call you. I let Ashley know if I'm uncomfortable, we're leaving this, we're leaving the situation. I premeditate what I'm going into. I, I, I think about what I'm doing and you have to understand it's like, the reason why we're at, we're at where we're at today is because it's like going to the gym. If you go to the gym once a week, you're only going to get the results of going to the gym once a week. We put forth the work because we, for me, I'm fighting for my, I fight for my life. And it's, it's, it's a new, it's a new way of living like by the grace of God. And I'm, I'm not trying to sound over dramatic with this, but it's like, I've gone through so many ups and downs with this. And it's like, I cannot drink or use, you know what I mean? I, I know that like, I'm so lucky that I haven't passed away, obviously, but it just takes that one time for something to happen. It's like, for me, God, 
my program and then my family though that's the priority of stuff for me because if i don't have my program in order i'm not going to be able to i won't have a family and so it's god's my number one program's number two and then my family comes comes after that and so it's again as i know that's a very winded answer to the question but there's a lot of things that go go hand in hand with the trigger and again as i think it's important for people to understand it is very individualized what i do maybe may not work for you at all and that's why like the people i work with it's super important to, you know, get people connected with the right type of therapist, the right type of, you know, psychologist, the right people too, though, is because it's, is when you're really going through stuff, it's, it's very helpful to have somebody help you be able to outline something that's going to work for you, you know? So, and because people always come to me and like, what is it that you do? That is it you do and bring, I'm giving you suggestions. If you can try them, if they don't work for you, it doesn't mean they don't work necessary. It's just, they're not the right fit for you. And that's why it's, when you go to meetings, you go to these Alana meetings, you get, you get to hear 50 to hundred different people's perspectives on what it is that they do, what they go through. And, and you, you'll be able to find somebody that you can connect with. Yeah. And I think it's so important where healing is definitely not linear, but the mindset behind it, I think the mindset that you have behind it is something that anyone in any situation can take away from because the triggers might be the, not the same. The outcome might not be the same of, you know, what's helping kind of cajole you out of that trigger, but the mindset will be. And the mindset that you have is you're taking proactive measures. You're having your wife in contact with you. You're having your friends in contact. You have a support system set up. You've set yourself up for success and not failure, so to speak. And I think that mindset alone is a huge is a huge thing that can help people in this situation. And even just reaching out to like resources you have and that you share constantly is so important. So I love that. Okay. Well, I'll ask you guys a fun one. Favorite memory filming together. Favorite memory. I have a lot of questions. About in the bedroom or on TV? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <clears throat> um... I'll just throw it out there. I love, my favorite thing is our trip down to San Diego. It was, it, it was really, really fun because it was an all cast event. Um, but Ashley and I, you know, the, during COVID there's such strict protocols. You're unable, you're unable to do anything. We had the opportunity to go down and like almost have like a vacation to ourselves. Yeah. We had work and stuff when we were down there, but we had so much fun. We had our, like a little bungalow. Right each other. Yeah. We just, oh, we had yeah, such a good time together. Really yeah. I feel like this season's been like the most fun that we've had. I think this season is the it's best like the season best out of all season. 12 seasons, like from original series. 12 seasons? Well, not, th- not me, but I'm saying the show itself is on, it's, if you take the hills and then the hills in the beginnings, it'll be a total of 12 seasons. I think this is going to be the best season. Yeah, it's oh really, God. really good. I, you know, and I get why there's such a huge, I mean, you guys have like, you created, you changed like pop culture, in my opinion, for the better. Hey, look, I'll say Laguna Beach definitely revolutionized the way TV was done. Yeah, so that's like a huge accolade. You should be really proud of yourself. Do you guys know a date yet when it's coming out, when we can all root for you? We know that we're done. We should be done shooting like March. So like my guess is it should come out. Like I think they're going to try to get it out right away, but we'll keep you posted for sure. Well, we will all be rooting for you and watching. And I think seeing just your growth alone and seeing you filming something so incredible with your wife and your family you've created and in the mindset you guys are in now is just such a success story for people who are struggling, who are in it, who feel like isolated and where they're at and there's no room for growth. There's so much room for growth and you guys are just the prime amazing example of that. So I just, I'm so grateful for you again. I know I've said it three times, but I like to repeat it because the mind needs to hear something more than a few times to take it in. 
And you guys can check out Jason and Ashley. I have linked their social media. I'll also link any other ways that you can get a hold of them. They have just, I've said it, an extraordinary amount of wisdom on these subjects. And I think the subject matter is so pivotal to our, our society succeeding as a whole. So thank you guys for being here. And as always, them sharing our truth does not take away from the space for anyone to share yours. Please share your truth. Please speak out of the community. There is space for healing here. Thank you.